Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chibata collection. How do you want it? Ooh, I'll take the slam poetry. Sure. <clears throat> Italian Chibata with fresh mozzarella. When hunger reigns, you're my flavor umbrella. Tasty garlic steak and provolone. With you, my taste buds are never alone. Savory chicken pesto, you have my affection. For you complete the Chibata collection. Thank you. Get them before they're gone at Subway. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Say, ring the bell, sucker. Na 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 na. This is Movie Fighters, the show where Chris Sims and I, Matt Wilson, we watch movies and beat them up. Chris, we are continuing our series of movies starring rappers, and uh, please remind the listeners of the title of this particular series. Hi, welcome to this subway ad for the new Chibata collection. How do you want it? Ooh, I'll take the slam poetry. Sure. <clears throat> Italian ciabatta with fresh mozzarella. When hunger reigns, you're my flavor umbrella. Tasty garlic steak and provolone. With you, my taste buds are never alone. Savory chicken pesto, you have my affection. For you complete the ciabatta collection. Thank you. Get them before they're gone at Subway. Limited time only at participating restaurants. You mean the title that I came up with for this set of Movie Fighters episodes? That's right. Rapper slash actor, right back at ya. That is what this series is called. We've already done one movie in this series. We watched Triple X State of the Union starring Ice Cube. And this time around, we're actually watching another movie that has Ice Cube in it in a very small role. But the lead actor is none other than Percy Miller. Known to the world as Master P... We're watching I Got the Hookup, which is about Master P and actor A.J. Johnson getting a bunch of 1998-ass cell phones and trying to sell them. (laughs) This is going to be a good one. I am completely unfamiliar with this movie. This is the movie that I wanted to do the rapper slash actor right back at you series for. Really? This was the yeah. one? I I came to the table wanting to do Romeo Must Die. Well, we might not do Romeo Must Die, but we'll do one in the arena of Romeo Must Die for sure. Okay. But I really wanted to do a movie related to or involving Master P. Um, there are a few. A lot of There are a lot of movies with Lil Romeo, Master P's son. Uh-huh. There's one called Internet Dating that I've heard a lot of interesting stuff about that we may get to eventually, but I wanted to start with the first one of I Got the Hookup, because not only is Master P a rapper, he also fits into the category of wrestlers in movies. Yes, he does! Oh my god, you're right! This could be the special crossover episode between rapper slash actor and Wrestle Movie Mania. That's right, because Master P and the No Limit Soldiers had a brief run in WCW. 
and uh, where they, I think they took on the NWO, if I'm not mistaken. They took on Matt. How could you have forgotten this? They took on the West Texas Rednecks. Oh, that's right. The 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 group that hated rap, uh, including Kurt Hennig. Yes, including Mr. Perfect. Not only is there that, this is also a movie with a wealth of raptors. Rap raptors. <laughs> Okay, I'm more and more interested the there, further this goes on. To my knowledge, there are no raptors. I meant rappers. Um, because not only is Master P in this, there's also Ice Cube in a small role. Master P's brother, C. Murder, is in this. Snoop Dogg has a small role in the movie, uncredited as far as I know. And uh, the unassailably, unquestionably best rapper... In No Limit is in this movie. Mystical. Mm-hmm. Also, rap video staple John Witherspoon is in this movie. Who is John Witherspoon? John Witherspoon um, is in Friday. He's okay. he's the older gentleman in Friday. He oh, was, okay. He was the Wayans Brothers' dad on the Wayans Brothers TV show. Right, he's, he's Ice Cube's dad in Friday. He's Ice Cube's dad in Friday. And he is in so many rap videos. Because yeah. anytime you recognize him from the Boondocks. Yeah. Anytime a rap video needs an old man, he's it. <laughs> like almost always. But so so there's a lot of like rap and rap video pedigree in this movie. And I also think this movie is interesting because it is almost a hundred percent definitely Master P's attempt to have his own Friday. Because, like, which makes me surprised that Ice Cube is in this. I've never actually seen anything specifically that talks about this movie being inspired by Friday or, or like, drawing a, a direct line from Friday to this movie. But it seems like it has to be. Based on the timing of it and the, like sort of the weird shaggy dog plot that we're going to see that it has and all that stuff. Uh, it, it, it has to be so in my mind. And Friday was huge. It's, it's this interesting alignment of, of varying factors. Okay. Cause Friday came out in 1995. This movie came out in 1998 at the peak of masterpiece power. And now nearly 20 years removed from, from that, I think we forget how popular and powerful Master P and No Limit were around 1998. Because not only did they invade WCW, No Limit for a short period was the rap label. Snoop Dogg, for a time, was on No Limit. Like, that's how ubiquitous and powerful of a rap label No Limit was in like 1988, 1999. Snoop Dogg jumped ship to to No Limit. Chris, did you have a particular familiarity or interest in No Limit and Master P in this time period? Because I had a none weird, at all. I had a weird fascination with it. I had none at all, and in fact, ninety eight was after I I made the, or I guess ninety nine would have been when they showed up in in WCW. That was uh, about a year into me having completely jumped ship from Nitro to Raw. So I didn't even see them at the time 
appearing on WCW programming. Okay. Uh, I, I will, to pull back the curtain, I am re-upping with the WWE Network tonight. So maybe before the Royal Rumble, I will... I will sit down and see if they've got any uh, No Limit Nitros available. I think they have just put up some 1999 episodes of Nitros, so there may they may be on there. I have not revisited, as is obvious, because I don't remember who they feuded with. I haven't revisited those Nitros since they aired in around 1999. But I had this very weird fascination with No Limit, and specifically with Master P. I remember... I didn't actually own any Master P albums. But I remember uh, he, like borrowing a friend's Master P album or just listening to it and and being so completely fascinated with uh, Ghetto D, which was the big first Master P album. It wasn't his first album, but it was the kind of the album that broke through and and really got attention. And then... I believe it was MP The Last Dawn that had let me it had two discs. I remember that. Which seems very ambitious <laughs> to release a a two disc album like in your with your second big album. And if I remember right, it is MP The Last Dawn that has the most baffling and amazing skit that I've ever heard on a rap album. Okay, okay. Because this skit was nothing but Master P asking, who turned the lights off? And I think it's Ma- it's Master P and somebody else. <laughs> it may be Mystical or Silk the Shocker, I can't remember who, or Sea Murder. And it's just, who turned the lights off, who turned the lights off? They're saying, who turned the lights off for probably a good 30 seconds. And then it just ends with some somebody else going, I turned the lights off, and then gunshots. We've talked about rap skits before. We've talked yeah. about skits on rap albums. Yeah. And how they are ruinous at best. <laughs> I feel like the thing about No Limit, and specifically Master P, is that the skits are as notable as the songs. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause, aside from like the hits, aside from make him say "uh," and I got the hookup, the the title track of I think the the soundtrack album to this movie, and and maybe a couple other notable songs. The songs are pretty forgettable. The skits, like, will get inside your head and not leave ever, even though they're the worst things you've ever heard. And. Part of my fascination with this movie, because I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen the whole thing the whole way through, and it's been a long time. Part of it is I just want to see if this movie falls in line with those skits. Because Master P is not only credited as producer of this movie, he's he's credited as one of the writers, along with Carrie Mungo and Leroy Douglas. And it was actually produced by No Limit Records. Like, like the production company is No Limit Records. See, I feel like that, going into this, is a worst-case scenario. <laughs> if it's like a skit on a rap album that lasts 93 minutes, <laughs> that, is a, that is a living nightmare for me. Well, we will find out if it is 
a fascinating experiment or a living nightmare in just a minute. But before we get to the movie, Chris, we've got to do the biggest blockbuster segment in podcasting. Snack situation. What are you snacking on for I Got the Hookup? Matt, are you talking about the hottest podcasting segment of 2016 already? That is what I'm talking about, yes. No contenders for that crown? None yet. Well, listen, listen. Uh, I know I usually go first and offer up my snack situation, but I, I'm i going to go ahead and say my snack is going to blow your snack out of the water, so I think okay. you need to go first this time. Okay, understood. So we're recording this on Sunday, as we often do for movie fighters, and if you were on the east coast of the United States, uh, above a certain latitude... Uh, you are snowed in like I am. I've been snowed in since Friday. So I've not been able to go out and get a specific snack for this movie. So what I've done is just pulled in some of the snacks that I had in the house to assemble something for snack situation. I have two kinds of cookies. I have half a sleeve of grandma's vanilla cookies. Uh, the sandwich cookies, which are delicious and some of my faves. I also had... Because we were snowed in yesterday and had, you know, nothing really to do, uh, my wife Marlene and I made some chocolate chip and butterscotch cookies that are very delicious, and I've got a couple of those next to me. But just so I'm not solely relying on cookies, I also have a roll here of Roundtree's Fruit Pastilles. Oh, made by Richard Roundtree. That's right. Shaft. <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, this is... Uh, yet another entry into my long list of British candies that I enjoy. These are a fruit candy made entirely with fruit juice. Uh, there's a little sprinkling of sugar on the outside. Most of the flavors are flavors that you will identify. There's lemon, there's orange, there's a cherry flavor, a strawberry. But the purple ones, his, here's how you know it's a British candy. The purple ones are not grape. They're blackcurrant. Of course course that is a, that is a dead giveaway yeah um so i'm gonna be snacking on all three of those throughout the film chris what are you blowing me out of the water with matt i gotta say you did bring your snack situation a game this week and i appreciate that and i'm proud of you thank you now i will say i'm looking out the window at a beautiful sunshiny 50 degree day <laughs> outside <laughs> but it, it, like we we didn't know what our our situation was going to be because it did it did rain and it got cold and it was just kind of like lousy out for a couple days like we just got the the rain and maybe a little bit of sleet uh, over the weekend but today is fine now uh, Aiden's in the in the kitchen right now making some cheese danishes so that's probably going to be our our later tonight snack but my snack this week Matt oh and I should say we did a little bit of a pre-rainstorm shopping, and I followed your recommendation, and I got a pack of Tunnock's uh, Caramel Wafer Biscuits. Yeah. Those are gone. That, they, they will go fast. Those were gone yesterday. Those were purchased on Thursday. They were gone yesterday. Uh, but what I have, I have a Japan crate, Matt. Ooh. Now, uh, this is not a paid advertisement, but honest to God, they should sponsor this show. <laughs> Uh, Japan Crate, I wrote a, I wrote an article about it back in December, but if you don't know what it is, it's a subscription service 
but all they send you is Japanese snacks, uh, which are amazing, mostly because of the packaging, uh, because everything has a weird little mascot. I am currently looking at a bag of chips, and there is a potato with a like like a ruddy-cheeked potato wearing a straw boater pointing up in the air, and he has a sash like you would see on the mare, but it says potato <laughs> in English. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I have uh, the January crate here, and so Matt, I've got uh, Asahi Kelpis gummies. I got milk chocolate pocky. That's a high end pocky. I've got Hello Kitty strawberry pretzels. That's basically pocky, but according to the description, uh, each of these sticks was hand dipped in delicious strawberry coating by Hello Kitty herself. So that's pretty amazing. I've got some juicy shortcakes. I've got some sparkling orange gummies. I've got some Fitz strawberry and cream gum and some yam white chocolates. But I've also got some Pokemon pineapple candy. So I've got some sweets, some savories from across the Pacific Ocean. Also, there was a pen in the box, and I don't know if that was included in the crate or just someone lost their pen in the box. So if you work at the Japan crate uh, shipping... (laughs) Uh, place. If you're putting together these boxes and you're missing a pen, let me know. I've got it. Is it branded or is it just a pen? It is. It's like it's a retractable pen. There is hiragana script on it, but there is nothing on in the little guidebook that says, "Oh, also we sent you a pen." Okay. Can we so, go back to the Asahi candy for a second? Is that beer yes. candy? No, no, no. Uh, this is, I think that's just the, the brand name of the candy. Uh, this is Kalpus, or Kalpiko, which is a popular drink in Japan. Uh, and these are soft gummies coated in sugar and filled with Kalpus jelly filling. Okay, so it has nothing uh, to do with Asahi. Additional... has nothing to do with Asahi the beer. No, it okay. does not. I, I wanted to clear that up. All right. Uh, Kalpus is apparently a milk-based beverage widely loved in Japan, according to the guidebook. Okay. That's another thing I like about this. They send you a little guidebook to tell you what the deal is with all these snacks you're eating. Yeah, that's very handy. Well, it sounds like we are more than prepared with snacks for I Got the Hookup. We're going to take a little break here. You're going to hear an ad. Then there's going to be some music. Then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about I Got the Hookup, which you can watch along with us on Netflix if you so choose. It is on Netflix, so watch along with us if you like. If not, back in a sec. Okay, we are back from watching I Got the Hookup, and Chris, were you expecting a movie in as close in sense of humor, tone, and style to the Insane Clown Posse movies? Because throughout the entire film, this was the thought in my head. How much like Big Money Hustlers this was. First of all, this was a fucking living nightmare, just like I was afraid of. My worst fears came true. And I don't know if I will ever forgive you for picking this movie. That's fair. I understand. <laughs> you made me face the exact thing I said I was afraid of, Matt. You did that to me. Yeah, it's a, this movie's about 15 minutes of plot and about 75 minutes of live-action filmed 
rap album skits. To your question, this is not a movie that makes Big Money Hustlers look good. Because there is no movie that makes Big Money Hustlers look good. Like, that is an impossibility. That is not a thing that exists. It does make Big Money Hustlers look better. Because even though this movie is, I would say, competently filmed. Mm. <laughs> At times. I mean, there are there are shots yeah. in the movie, right? Like, there are... There are there are locations. There's lighting. Uh, yes. There is a cop car that doesn't look at all like a cop car and just has a red light inside of it. Like, not even a yeah. police light, just a red light. Just but, a red spotlight. But then there's another like cop car that looks like a real cop car later. As if maybe they completely ran out of budget by the time they were shooting the previous cop car scene? I don't know. There's a Dragnet episode from the 60s where they're driving around and they're in, like, an unmarked car and, like, they need to, like, like get through traffic or something because they're, like, speeding to the scene of a, a crime. And, like, Joe Friday, like, pulls out a, like, a red flashlight, like a pistol grip red flashlight and starts, like, moving it around like a siren, like, in, like, a figure eight pattern. But that's, like, 1967. And this is... 1998. So this is 30 years later. I do not believe that technology is still employed. Yeah. I d- like, okay, so the thing about Big Money Hustlers is that it only resembles a movie, right? There are scenes where Violent J just just talks into the camera for several minutes, and that take place on the most bare-bones, cheap-ass sets you can imagine. And there's nothing like this in this movie. Nothing like that. But there is a lot of just completely dropping any pretense of having a plot or following a story. And it's just people fucking around on screen for a while. Like, there's a scene where Master P and AJ... Is it AJ Johnson? Yeah, AJ uh. Johnson, who plays... They, their characters are named Black and Blue... There's a scene where they're literally just walking down a street, play fighting. For a while. For such a long time. Blue is just wildly swinging at Black, like a cartoon character. And it's not just a one-off gag, it goes on and on. And there are a ton of scenes like that, where it's just like... They're like several minutes of screen time for one gag that's not funny. I feel like the genesis of a lot of rap album skits are the same things that are the, the, the source material of you and me doing bonus content for Patreon backers, right? Which is that we have a conversation and we make each other laugh and we be, we're like, oh, this would be good bonus content. We should record this. And then we record it. But because it doesn't always have the spontaneity or the the the, the inside jokiness of you and me talking to each other, it is lost in the translation sometimes, right? Like, I think that's fair to say. This is the movie version of that. Except, except half the skits are about a mentally handicapped guy who is also, like, a a gang leader, but it's just supposed to be inherently funny because he's a mentally handicapped guy. 
And then there's yeah, a he's like doing the voice, which is like really yeah. upsetting. It's it's the most upsetting thing in the movie, and in a movie full of upsetting things. Um, which I mean, I don't know. If, like I I don't know if I would say that because there's a lot of upsetting things in this movie, but like. In the interest of fairness, that is a thing that, like, at 16, like, as a shitty teenager, that I probably would have thought was pretty funny. It's it's very 1998, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's very, uh, it, it's very, they thought Handyman from In Living Color was hilarious. There's a lot of In Living Color style stuff in this. Yeah, but it's which, like, by the way, In Living Color was on like six years before this. Yeah, and but it's very like ineptly done In Living Color stuff because this this is basically the movie version of the Homie Shopping Network. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think that's that's fair. It's if it's you know because the In Living Color the Wayanses never wanted to make Homie Shopping Network as a movie. And I don't remember who was in the Homie Shopping Network skits. Was it Damon Wayans and Keenan Ivory? I do not recall. I want to say maybe Sean Wayans was in it. I don't remember who the two were. Because uh, it's been a long, long time since I've seen any of In Living Color. But Black and Blue's operation, which is called the Black and Blue Shopping Center, they just have this this big area enclosed in in like chain link fence full of what is ostensibly stolen goods that they're selling oh. to people of the neighborhood. We'll get to that when we start talking about the plot of this movie. I have so many questions about that. But like yeah. the, the, the thing the, is the technical understanding of cell phones in this movie is dubious at best. The thing is like a lot of in living color doesn't hold up like a lot of like a lot of yeah. like weigh-ins stuff like i'm gonna get you sucker and uh don't be a menace like that doesn't really hold up like it was it was it was good at the time i think like i think in living color whole like as a whole was good at the time but a lot of it doesn't hold up and so imagine well, like, how little it holds up okay so the joke of men on film is that they're gay right right Obviously, that does not hold up. That's that's not a joke. Uh, there's a character in this movie who was until the very end when they do a Ace Ventura reveal on this this transgender character whose name is Tootsie. Tootsie is actually treated with a fair amount of respect, right? Like, really. Did you like? Do you really think so? Well, nobody's like making fun of her to her face, and I mean, she's, that's true. She's played by somebody who seems to be trans. I could be totally wrong about that, but like, she is not a joke simply for existing until Master P says so. You know what I mean? Like, she is treated as a character. Like, maybe you're supposed to be thinking, because there's a part where she's putting moves on this, like, kind of stuffy guy who works for a cell phone company. Like, maybe there's supposed to be a joke in that of, like, oh, he thinks that she's not trans. Like, I, in the back of my mind, and I knew it wasn't going to happen, but in the back of my mind, I was hoping that they were just going to, like, be together at the end of the movie, and it wouldn't be a thing, you know? <laughs> Yeah, Matt, th this ain't Wild Zero, bro. I know. 
She is not treated the same way as the the mentally handicapped gang leader guy or the two little people that just by their appearance that's supposed to be funny uh, in a scene I mean, where two two cops get called to a domestic disturbance and they run into a house and it turns out to be one of the cops' house and then it's just two little people having like weird S and M sex in the house. Like the fact that they're little people is the entire joke of that scene. Okay. To be fair, yes, Tootsie is is a, is treated as more of a character than than those characters. Also, unless anybody's out there getting their hopes up, Tootsie is also a uh, a prostitute specializing in men who just got out of jail, and that yeah. is the joke of her I, of her first appearance. Yeah, but like, I mean, he pretty rough, man. Yeah, it's pretty rough. The the people in black and blues though don't like tell her to leave. You know, they they treat her like anybody else. That's the only. I'm look. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make lemonade out of lemons here. <laughs> yeah, you got you got some rotten ass lemons in this movie. Here's what I think defines this movie more than anything else. Uh, you and I were both watching with subtitles on. Me because uh, I've gotten in the habit of doing that because uh, Aiden likes having the subtitles on when we watch stuff. I do it when we uh, watch when we watch movie fighters stuff. I turn the subtitles on so I can get the dialogue right because sometimes yeah, I mishear things. Yeah. So there's a point in this movie. Okay, all through the movie, things that are just spoken quickly but are still identifiable as words are just written as unintelligible. Yes. There's, like, stuff that we could clearly identify. Like, we could absolutely understand what was being said. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, get him out of here. Get him out of here? There's a, part where, uh, there's a part where someone says, this is a deuce and a quarter, that's a YMCA van. Yeah. Like, not much faster than I just said. There, there's a part where someone mentions Cool Modi. They just say, Cool Modi. That's yeah. listed as unintelligible. Even if you're not familiar with the slang term deuce and a quarter, like that is the kind of thing that, you know, if you're writing subtitles for a movie, you kind of want to walk it back and like, because those are all words. Yeah. <laughs> those are all words. YMCA van, like, makes sense. That's just written as incompetent, like uh, unintelligible. Uh, there's a lot of that in this movie. But then at one point, there's a good two minute stretch and there's dialogue. And it's actually that scene that you talked about where uh, they're fighting on the street. They're doing their training montage, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and there is dialogue. There are things being said, and there's just no subtitles. There's just nothing. Yeah. The, so whoever, the subtitles gave up. Whoever did movie. whoever did the subtitles for Netflix, one, clearly is not a hip-hop fan. Because so much of what is said... That it's clear to anyone who listens to hip hop is just, they just gave up and were like, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what that means. And they were so un, not into this movie that they made no effort whatsoever to transcribe and look, what people were saying. I, I don't, I don't blame them. I honestly don't. But I mean, like, I blame them for the kind of like crypto racist stuff. Yeah. Of 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 not uh, not just trying to transcribe what is actually being said, but I do not blame them for just losing interest in the movie because uh, Matt, as you know, I left the room several times. You did 
Uh, it was just like, hey, keep it rolling. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I taught myself to draw Mario. <laughs> uh, using, I have a, no, like, I have a um, notebook with grid pages, so I was able to, like, do a, a pixel drawing of Mario in my notebook. I freehand drew those shoes that Ramon was talking about on Ajax this week, the Adidas Stan Smiths. Oh. I got a pretty good drawing of those. Oh, that's good. Uh, in the notebook. Uh, I did not read comics, and I have a stack of comics sitting next to me that I was kind of side-eyeing the entire time. And the only reason I was able to pay as much attention to this movie as I did was that I made sure to like exhaust all my characters in Marvel Puzzle Quest before we started, as a precaution, yeah. to make sure I paid attention. Like, I wanted to give up on this, and we get money for doing this. Yeah, you, I feel like, you know, you talked about this being the waking nightmare of of listening to hip hop album skits. I as I've noted, I have a weird fascination with hip hop album skits. So even though I did not enjoy watching this movie, I wouldn't say I watched it with rapt attention, but I was paying attention through the whole thing because I find it a hundred percent fascinating. There were definitely parts where I started getting very uncomfortable. Anytime Tootsie showed up, I got uncomfortable because I was anticipating the joke that didn't happen until the very end. And for all intents and purposes, could have been a lot worse. Uh, I got really uncomfortable anytime that gang leader guy showed up. Uh, I like Anytime... Like, there was one point where... Chris, you pointed out like how how like surprisingly racist this movie was. Like, uh, yes. there was a part where uh, a, a woman who works at the shopping center was getting yelled at by uh, a Latino gentleman, and she starts shooting a gun at his feet and he, and telling him to dance. And there's like La Cucaracha or whatever playing on the soundtrack in the background. And like and like she is like yelling like Speedy Gonzalez for instance, yeah, like on delay. Yeah. That that part those is do not, those also do not get uh subtitled they by do the not. way. They do not. It's I think it, the subtitle is just yelling. Maybe yelling in Spanish. There's one mind bending and super confusing gag that I still do not get. Where there are these two FBI agents one of whom is played by Joe Estevez. You'll know him as the brother of Martin Sheen and the uncle of Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. You will know him as the soul taker of the movie Soul Taker. <laughs> That's right. But not the werewolf of the movie Werewolf. No, he's just in Werewolf. But he's in this movie as an FBI agent, and there's a gag, and it happens twice, where he and the other FBI agent, who are both white, they're wearing masks that come off, and they're revealed to be black. And I feel like the the gag is supposed to be something about how if you're black and you're in the FBI, you have no authority. But it never comes through. And so instead, it's just this weird racial thing that makes no sense. Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't get that. I read it as the thing where it's like... Uh, you know, like the, the, the line, the line from fuck the police about, you know, if it's a, if it's a black cop, he's gonna, uh, take you down even harder 
in front of the white cops so they will accept him more. But man, I honestly do not know what they were going for. Yeah, neither do I. Like, but there, there's another gag that sort of like is intentionally jabbing at racism when these two white cops arrest this character. I think he's supposed to be Blue's cousin who is selling cell phones for them. And the white cop says to the cousin, I bet you wish there were a million of you now. Uh, as like in reference to the Million Man March. Yes. Which is like almost like on the precipice of being a good joke. Because like, oh, that white cop is so racist, right? But like, it's just not quite there. But I feel like that is sort of what they're trying to get across with the other thing, but it never works. I do feel like that is something that a racist cop would say. Yes, absolutely. There is an authenticity to that. Yes. Okay, so let's let's burn through the p- plot of this movie super fast, because there's not that much to get through. There's not that much to get through, but I will say, we, we stopped watching this movie, what, 15 minutes ago? And I legit have no idea how any of the plots resolve. It's it's nonsense. The end of this movie is nonsense, but let me go through the plot. So Black and Blue are at their shopping center. They're selling stuff. These two women show up with a TV that's not working. They're trying to get the TV fixed or get a replacement. Black, played by Master P, he comes out and he's like, no, we're not going to replace your TV, but take it to our repair shop and they'll help you out there. The two women take it to the repair shop and John Witherspoon is there. John Witherspoon is only introduced so that Black and Blue can hide out at his place a little later, and we can get Matt, some nudity I, in the movie. <laughs> can I stop you for a second? Sure. you said shopping center. Yeah. And for people who haven't seen this movie, they are imagining something that is not what is in this movie. Well, we kind of described it, right? It's, it's the movie version of the Homeboy Shopping Network. Yeah, it's, but it's like yeah. fucking Barter Town, dude. It's, it's true. Like, <laughs> it's like Mad Max times. They have like hollowed out cars that they are like doing business in. They're doing credit like, checks in the hollowed out they're cars. They're doing credit checks like in a junked car that has been like gutted and remade into like I swear to god, it's like fucking Fury Road. Yeah, it does they have are that in as, Mad Max times. It definitely it, it definitely has that aesthetic. So it's super weird. It's kind of my favorite thing about the movie, to be honest. I my question is, how is this business allowed to exist? Because like it's out in the open, like n- nobody is trying to hide that this place is there. Master P continually calls it his business. I know it's not licensed. Like, how is nobody like showing yeah. up and hassling them, trying to shut them down all the time? I mean, I can I can buy that. Just by virtue of there not being a lot of police presence in in this in, in this, this neighborhood, neighborhood, maybe. But but at one point, the guy from the cell phone company is looking for black and blue, and they have like this this place is this like a parking lot. It's like a it's parking huge. lot that has been converted into a weird into barter town. Okay, yeah. like there, I would not be surprised if there was just a Thunderdome right off screen. Yeah, but it's it's a huge place, and there's like signs. There are signs up that say like Black and Blues Emporium. 
Like it's it's like a Fallout village. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is exactly like a settlement in Fallout Four, and yet, like when the guy's walking around, he's like stopping people and asking. He's like, "Do you know where I could find a uh, black and blue?" Like, and he has to ask several people, and it's like he never just happens to walk by this massive street market. But what does happen to go by the massive street market? is a delivery truck driven by an older white man. He's got this cargo, but he doesn't know where he's going. So he pulls over and he asks Blue, who's standing on the side of the road, hey, can you tell me where 9,000, whatever the street they're on is, I've got to deliver this stuff in the back to Mr. Goldstein. i got to get to Mr. Goldstein's place. Which means they're just like, a few blocks away from whatever company these cell phones were going to get delivered to. Which is another reason, like, the whole thing about the police presence kind of doesn't hold up, but whatever. Blue is like, man, I don't know where, where that is. I don't know who Mr. Goldstein is. But then Master P, recognizing a business opportunity, walks over to the van and he goes, oh, oh, never mind. I'm Mr. Goldstein. And he turns behind him and makes the 6,000 on the wall into a 9,000. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Mr. Goldstein. That stuff's for me. So he pays the guy in the van the, all the cash they've made from that day. And the guy in the van gets out several boxes and puts it on the sidewalk and says, like, oh, great doing business with you, Mr. Goldstein. Thank you so much. And he drives away. Although he comes back a couple more times throughout the movie and gives them more cell phones. But then black and blue open up the boxes in front of them and they're just full of like bubble wrap. They finally get down to the bubble wrap and what is inside the boxes is 1998 ass flip phones in Ziploc bags. Not even in boxes. They are just packaged in straight up Ziploc bags. Now here is my question about this. Presumably, like, we see Black and Blue selling everything, right? Like, they sell TVs. They sell milk at one point, and someone tries to return the milk. Yeah. And, and, and like, uh, there's a jar of pig's feet at one point, and, mm-hmm. like, it is, it is this weird thing where they sell everything. And it's super weird. So I fully buy uh, Black being, like... Uh, yeah, like whatever this is, I can sell it. Like I will. I'll, yes, yes, I'm Mr. Goldstein, and whatever this delivery is, I can sell it because he doesn't know what it is. Like it could be a FedEx envelope, you know. But even though, even though he doesn't have to, he gives the driver all the money they've made that day, which is a large wad of money. Blind, yes. not knowing what's in the truck. It could be. It could be. It could, it could be bearer bonds. It it could literally be a letter. It could be it could be <laughs> yeah. a certified letter. Fortunately, it's a, a a truckload of cell phones in Ziploc bags. Yeah, that are clearly stolen because they're not in packaging. They're in Ziploc bags. So and he's like, and, and before they open it up, like, am I am I misremembering that? Because I might be. Before they open it up, he he t- like blue is like, what are you doing, giving away all our profits? Which is exactly what I thought. Yeah. And black says, "Don't worry, man, I got the hookup," which is the title of the movie. 
Which not, is spoken uh, three times. Yeah, not the only time he says it. But he, like, how does he know he has the Because it turns out Black does, in fact, have the hookup that would be necessary to sell cell phones to people. Okay. And provide cell phone service. Here's here's the thing where it starts getting really confusing, though. Okay? So he gets out these cell phones, and he goes, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we can sell these cell phones to people. We can make a lot of money. We'll be all set. I just have to go talk to my little bro to get chips for the phones. And I have to go talk to my girl who works for the cell phone company so we can get everybody service. Now, I don't know how how she provides them service. I don't know how the little bro has the chips or how he knows what chips will go in these phones. There's a scene later where there's a guy in a van, in like the front seat of a van, trying to just like force chips that don't really go in these phones into into these particular models. And I guess what they're talking about is SIM cards, but they, they're continually referred to as chips. Matt, you are thinking about this way too hard. Like, all you need to know is that whatever he's doing to the phones to make them work is illegal and also allows cell phone conversations to be broadcast over the radio. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So, Black goes and visits... Little bro, who is the only name that he's referred to as in the movie, at a funeral. He decides that the best place to visit him is at a funeral. And it's because they want to have a silly scene break out where two older women have a fight at the funeral. Because she's sp- one lady spits on a corpse the on the body because this guy stole something from her one time. So that's a great gag. But anyway, little bro gets him the chips. Then there's a scene where Black goes and visits his girlfriend at a Japanese restaurant, which Black refers to as a Chinese restaurant. And then this is the moment where he said that the movie was shockingly racist because Master P does a really offensive stereotype voice uh, where he asks for a hamburger at what he calls a Chinese restaurant. Uh, yeah. He also says, he also says at this part, uh, I I believe the phrase is, I have never eaten at a Chinese restaurant before. Yeah, which seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Also says he says he ne- he is not going to take his shoes off. And this Japanese restaurant is like like a pagoda. Like there's no yeah, chair. It's, it's like a monastery. <laughs> yeah. And his his lady friend who. I, I gotta, I'm gonna have to look out, look up her name because I don't remember. Lorraine. Her, her name Lorraine. is Lorraine. Her name is Lorraine. Okay, she's wearing like a kimono and everything. Like, I want to know how she and Black got together. Lorraine works at a cell phone company. In whatever position she's in, she is not in charge, but she is high level enough to allow Black and Blue to pirate cell phone signals and cell phone frequencies. Uh, which I don't know if that's a thing, but I assume it is because I don't know how cell phones work. So I cannot argue with the logic of this movie in the slightest. But whatever she does, she is a mid-level employee. She does not have an office. She has a cubicle. Yeah, she works in the fraud department. I know that much. Right. 
But also, she is rich enough that later in the movie, her house is going to be referred to as the Batcave, uh, or as I wrote down, the remote control fuck grotto. Yes. Not without reason. Yes. So, uh, yes, I would also love to know how she met uh, Black. Well, because also, like, she's, she seems to be, like, pretty cultured, right? Like, she wears a kimono to the Japanese restaurant and wants to go to the Japanese restaurant and really appreciates her high-paying job at the cell phone company while Black is constantly shitting on her cell phone company job, only wants to use it for his criminal enterprise, and calls the Japanese restaurant that she was really excited to go to a Chinese restaurant that he doesn't want to go to and orders a hamburger. So, like, why are they together? <laughs> yeah, Black, Black is a very bad boyfriend. Yes. Anyway, she gets cell phone service somehow, so now they have the chips and the service. So they're selling cell phones to everybody in the neighborhood. They've got a huge operation going of selling cell phones. Immediately at the offices of the cell phone company, Lorraine's boss, who again is this very like high-strung guy, tells her and everybody else in the office, somebody's pirating cell phone signals. We're getting all this unsubstantiated traffic on the south side. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So he shows up in Black and Blue's neighborhood, and as we talked about earlier, starts asking around about where Black and Blue are, and somehow never manages to find them. I think it's safe to say that this movie takes place in Los Angeles, by the way, but that is never mentioned. Yeah, and uh, it's not where... The only location that is mentioned is the south side. It's very noir. It's yeah, very that's... film noir. That makes me think Chicago, right? But, uh, but Master P's from New Orleans, so I don't know where it's supposed to be. He's from New Orleans, but he lived in, in L.A. Uh, then it's probably L.A. Uh, yeah. that, that makes the most sense. Like all the great noirs. That's right. L.A. or San Francisco. Big sleeves, long goodbye, I got the hookup. The great, the great, the noir canon. That's right. <laughs> Meanwhile, here comes Tiny Lister, who we did not mention in the, in the opening part of this. But Tiny Lister is a gang enforcer. He's like the number two to this gang leader named Roscoe. He shows up for one of Black and Blue's salesmen, the cousin, and he demands that this guy sell him ten phones and to give him only the nice ones, not to any of, the cra- any of this crap they're selling everybody else. So everybody is terrified of Tile, so they sell him all the cell phones he wants right away because he's a very intimidating guy. Cut to a scene at like sort of like a party in a park where there's this radio set up, radio station set up. They're playing a little Kim song, and people in the park are just kind of partying. Tile is there, and he gets a phone call from Roscoe. There's a hilarious part where Roscoe answers the or Tile answers the phone and calls Roscoe, who has called him a bitch. Because he, I guess that's how he answers the phone. And Roscoe yells at him for a while because he's somebody that definitely shouldn't be called that. And then Roscoe starts talking to Tile over the phone quite openly about how he wants Tile to go find a locker at some undisclosed location, which has $70,000 in it, and bring him back his $70,000. Unfortunately... 
because the cell phones are a little screwy and aren't quite working right, this phone call is broadcast over the radio. Everybody listening to the radio can hear this. So this starts up a – it's a mad, 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 mad world situation where everybody in the city <laughs> – everybody in the city is opening up various lockers trying to find this $70,000. Turns out it's in a locker at like the power plant or or the WWE Performance Center because it's full of these guys in like wrestling tights. And there's this dude in the locker room who busts up on the locker and finds the $70,000. T-Lay is watching this happen as people run off with the $70,000 and ends up calling Roscoe back. And instead of getting punished himself, which it seems like T-Lay should be the one who's getting punished for this, right? Roscoe says, we got to take down black and blue right now. I also, do also want to point out that T-Lay does not move to stop this at all. He he tries to go and get the money, but that's about it. When the, the guy finds the money in the locker and then the developmental talent jump him, like, T-Lay is there watching it all, and he does not go in that room and try to claim the money himself. Which is weird, because T-Lay, again, is Tiny Lister, who is a very large and intimidating man. But also in this movie, is very easy to beat in a fight. Yeah, but there's like 20 people. Like, I don't think he could take all 20 people. And the money was has Zeus like... Was Zeus ever in the Royal Rumble? I don't... Because we would be able to verify this if he was. I don't remember. I think, he, I think he had a match at SummerSlam. I don't think he was in the Royal Rumble. But, like, they're already, like, running away with the money by the time he's seeing this. So I guess it's conceivable that he couldn't have gotten the money back. Either way. So... We've got the cell phone company after Black and Blue. We've got Roscoe and Tile coming after Black and Blue. We also have the FBI coming after Black and Blue because the the head of the fraud department at the cell phone company has gone directly to the Justice Department to tell them about all this illegal cell phone activity that's going on on the South Side. So now we have Joe Estevez and the other FBI agent guy doing surveillance on Black and Blue, trying to get them. They also arrest Little Bro in their attempt to get at Black and Blue. So that's where we are. Black and Blue have been on an adventure of follies, just doing a bunch of dumb skits through this whole thing. They eventually end up at uh, the repair shop that they were talking about earlier, where John Witherspoon is. They end up laying low there, but Lorraine shows up there and tells them that they have to go because Roscoe is trying to kill them. So they go and they meet up with Ice Cube. And when Ice Cube finally shows up in this movie, it's like a beaming ray of light. It's like it is a breath of fresh air. Oh my god! It's I was we've been waiting for you to show up, Ice Cube, and unfortunately he's only on screen for maybe like three minutes. Not long. Yeah, uh, but he ends up selling Black and Blue some guns, and I don't know if he actually sells them a bomb or not. But Master P claims to have a bomb. There's also somewhere in here where Tile finds Black and Blue and tries to tries to have them killed. But fucking Master P beats up Tiny Lister. Zeus. Zeus, which 
made me madder than anything. I get all the terrible offensive humor in this movie because of when it came out and because of the humor I am familiar with from rap album skits. But making me believe that Master P can beat up Zeus, a bridge too far. A bridge Which also, too far. also seems like a direct challenge to Friday. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it does seem like, even though Debo does get knocked out in Friday, famously, like, like T-Lay is not at all intimidating after this point. Yeah. And it makes it super weird that Ice Cube's in this movie. It's super weird that Ice Cube's in this movie, because this is such a, like, obvious Friday, like, trying to to build on the success of Friday, or take away some success from Friday, honestly. Yeah, but, I mean, Friday was much, much earlier than this, like... Three years. Not that much earlier. Was it only three years? Yeah. I mean, this movie does seem like the Asylum Films version of Friday. It kind of does, yes. After Master P buys this equipment from Ice Cube... He goes into this bar that is apparently Roscoe's stronghold. It's a strip club. Because there's this camera on the wall that keeps moving around, and Roscoe's voice is coming out of it. And Master P is talking to him on this, like, secret phone that doesn't have any numbers on the keypad. It's just a direct line to Roscoe. And Master P's like, I don't have your $70,000, but I got to talk to you about this stuff because I'm trying to run a business and I have a bomb in my backpack. If you don't let me go and let me do my thing and get T-Lay off of me, T-Lay and his gang off of me, I'm going to blow up this place. And Roscoe sort of tentatively agrees to this, but as soon as Black and Blue leave, he tells T-Lay to absolutely go kill Black and blue, for sure. Also, Snoop Dogg is in the bar in that scene. In a I tiny did not little even cameo. Notice. Yeah, he's there. So, we're to the end game of the movie. T Lay is disposed of as a threat because he rounds up Black and Blue one last time and takes him to like a construction site where there is a porta potty set up on a hill. Mystical, who is one of T Lay's right-hand men, whose character is actually named Stupid. Uh, Mystical is holding them at gunpoint while T-Lay goes and takes a shit in the porta potty like, uh, There is a scene in this movie where I don't know if this is the exact line, but it's very close, where Tiny Lister says, I'm gonna kill you guys in a minute. Right now, I gotta go take a shit. Yeah. And he makes Stupid just hold them at gunpoint until he gets out. Black and Blue deal with Stupid. Blue asks for like one last, one last request before dying, and he asks yeah. to oh, get do you mean high. This is the part where the movie turns into a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yes, he says we just want to get high before we die, and weirdly enough, Master P refers to it as dust, which makes me think that they're gonna smoke angel dust. Yeah, like because he says, like he says, we're about to meet the angels. We better do so some we dust. Might as well, we better do some dust. I don't know. But, I, like, it's clearly weed. Even though it honestly looks like a tampon. It looks like he's pulling out and smoking a tampon. It uh, is a cartoonishly large blunt. Yeah, so Mystical lights this thing up and starts smoking it. 
and it immediately knocks him out and dro- makes him loopy. All the other gangsters just run away, and Black and Blue push the porta potty that Tiny and Li- Tiny Lister's in down a hill, and they run away. So they don't kill Tile. They just pull a prank on him, and that disposes of Tile. Yeah, Tile is gone. Tile is out of the movie. Yes. They return to the shopping center, where they are confronted by the two FBI guys. They pull off the two FBI guys' white guy masks, and everybody within the shopping center then runs them away. Like, chasing their police car or their FBI car down the street, running after it. And they run away in a cartoonish way. Then, the cell phone fraud guy is done away with by uh, a terrible transphobic joke. And then he takes a mask off, revealing himself to have not been a black man, which is what he's appeared to be this whole movie. But he's instead a white guy. And this is the point in the movie where you ask me, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I do not, like, I literally do not understand it. And I don't, I don't either. what is meant to be happening at this point. I don't either. But he gets run away because he's revealed to be a white guy. Then, one of the ladies with the broken TV from the beginning of the movie shows back up at the, the shopping center. And because her TV is still broken, she threatens to shoot Blue in the butt with an old musket that she found. Then she shoots Blue in the butt. Then the movie ends with him saying, She shot me in the ass! And a little Looney Tunes cart- like circle fade out. Like a straight, that's all, folks. Yep. In fact, there's one part where somebody says, That's all, folks. And the captions get that line wrong also. Do we have any high points? Let's see. The the one thing I wrote down as a high point, I guess I wrote down two things. They use the theme from Shaft at one point, which is only a high point aesthetically. They use uh, the theme from Shaft, and there's a Curtis, Mayf- uh, Curtis Mayfield's Pusher Man is in here. Yeah. So there's a couple of which, good songs on the soundtrack. Which violates the rule of don't make your audience wish they were watching a better movie. That's true. Shaft and Superfly are both much better movies than this. Much better movies. I would say Shaft 2000 is better than this. Oh, definitely. A long shot. Definitely. Nobody throws a badge like a ninja star in this movie. Uh, also, we skipped over it because you only covered the plot-relevant sequences in the film. There's a lot you left out. Oh, yeah. Because uh, sure. it's just fucking around. Uh, and there's a scene where the the cousin gets arrested... And then his mom shows up to bail him out of jail and walks through this uh, hallway in the jail as though she is performing an exorcism, uh, which is actually pretty funny. Like, they are they are revealed to be, like, super religious. Yes. Uh, in a very funny sort of way, I think. Yeah. There's a, scene, there's a scene after that where the cousin is in the car with his mom and dad, and they're driving back home. And the mom is talking about all the various ways that he's going to be punished. And that part's not bad either. Like, she says, you're going to be grounded to your room. And the the cousin says, for how long? And she says, you're not coming out. Which I thought was not bad. There's also one funny line that Blue delivers. Like, most of Blue... Look, A.J. Johnson is 
I don't even want to call him a low rent poor man's Chris Tucker. Like that's clearly his role. But he is so bad at riffing. It it's it's mind blowing. But I'm getting into low points here. So the high point is there's one part as Ice Cube is driving away where uh Blue just literally says that Ice Cube looking motherfucker which was a funny line. Yeah. Like now, acknowledging you, that Ice Cube looks like Ice Cube. <laughs> you talk about uh you talk about him being bad at riffing. Uh there is a part well, where Well, let's we're still in high points. No, I actually I will say I actually did enjoy at least the idea of this part. Okay. Uh and he said like uh Black is on the phone with Lorraine. Yep. And he says uh she's like, "Yeah, I'll be at the Chinese I'll be at the Japanese restaurant. I'll be wearing a red dress, high heels, and no panties." And she says panties like that, which is Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> super. She hits that T so hard. Yeah. Uh, and then Blue overhears this, and then there's like a, it's gotta be like all 30, 45 seconds of him like riffing responses to that, like, like, I'll be wearing a cowboy hat and no pants. Well, first Black says what he's gonna be wearing, and he's like, I'm gonna be wearing a black shirt and a black hat and no boxer drawers. Boxing drawers, I wrote that down. (laughs) And then Blue starts riffing on what he's going to be wearing or not wearing uh, after yeah. that. And I do like, and uh, the thing I wrote down was they left the gag reel in the movie, but I do kind of, I do kind of enjoy that because that is kind of an, an Adam McKay sort of thing that that he would do later you know, in later films. That I don't think it is like this movie could have benefited from more of that. Yeah, being silly. It's not a bad idea. It's just not executed very well. Like honestly, like we were talking about how the movie ends in total Looney Tunes fashion. I kind of mm-hmm. wish it had been more Looney Tunes. I kind of wish it had been goofier. Like, cause the the one thing where they acknowledge that, that that's Ice Cube, it's like the one really funny line, right? So, like, yeah, more of that. I wish they had done more of that. I think we've gone through a lot of the low points of this movie, but it's transphobic. It's, it's racist. Homophobic. It's, it's racist. Yeah. Very offensive to people with a mental handicap. And it's a ripoff of a lot of Wayne, Wayne's Brothers stuff. Like the fact that we were – like now that we've talked about that, I've started processing all these characters who were like in living color characters. Like mm-hmm. it's got a Wanda. It's got – uh, the the homeboy shopping network. It's got um like some some white cops who are who turn out to be goobs. I can name so many Wayans Brothers characters that end up being characters in this movie. Yeah, it's sort of transparently we watched a lot of In Living Color, and we're just gonna like barely not do that. We're gonna sidestep it just a little. Yeah. To make it slightly different. Nothing makes sense. And not even in like a, a fun, silly way. Because there like there's definitely a part of this movie that wants to be an action movie, right? There's a car chase that it, I I'll I'll give it this, even though the car chase is very cliche. They run oh, into they some the, they hit the vegetable boxes, Matt. Yeah, they hit the vegetable boxes. 
It's it's like a competently shot car chase. I'd say it's one of the most competently shot parts of the movie. Yeah, uh, I do like the line uh, that uh, Masterpiece says when he goes to see uh, Roscoe, which is, you know, somebody pulls a gun and he pulls out two guns, and he's like, "What? You thought they stopped making guns after you got yours?" That was a good line. That was a genuinely good line. Yeah, but that's a good action movie line. And this movie is a a silly comedy, except when it doesn't want to be. And it's very incompetent at being both a comedy and an action movie. So it's incompetent at two things instead of one. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's very frustrating. Like, but that but that's also what rap album skits are, right? Like, they try to be funny and badass at the same time. And that's so much of what this movie is. It is a ninety-three minute rap album skit. And that is my nightmare. And you made it come true. That sounds a lot like a final thought. Any other final thoughts about I Got the Hookup? It's real, real bad. It's real, real bad. Gun to your head. You have to watch either I Got the Hookup or Big Money Hustlers again. Which one do you choose? And you get, you can't choose the gun. You have to choose one of the movies. I would just grab that gun and put it right up against my forehead, Matt. I go out to find... No, uh, I, like... This one? I would take this one. Because... Because they have that same I don't feel like there was ever a script quality to them. Like, a lot of it feels improved. You know, and, and clearly... Big Money Hustlers is just kind of going off on something. But, you know, they, they have the same they have the same homophobia. They have the same transphobia and all that. Uh, but at least, like, the people in I Got the Hookup are not benefiting from, like, institutionalized racism like the way in St. Clown Posse is. Yes. Also, I would choose I Got the Hookup also. Because... There are some people in I Got the Hookup who are actors. Master P's not an actor. A.J. Johnson is only sort of an actor. But Tiny Lister is enjoyable. He doesn't get much to do, but he's enjoyable. John this Withers- is his worst role. Yeah. John Witherspoon has a gross, terrible character, but he's an enjoyable presence. Gretchen Palmer who plays a Lorraine is giving it her all right. Like she's trying to do a good job. Big money hustlers has no actors in it. It only has except for Harlan Williams, but he's not really acting in that movie. At least this movie has some actors It ha- and, and has ice cube and has Snoop Dogg. Like it has things to look forward to <laughs> as you're having to endure the awfulness that you're having to endure. So I would take I would take this. Now, what if it was Big Money Rustlers, and you had to choose between seeing WCW uh, Superstar Scott Hall and WCW Superstar Master P? I think I definitely I, I don't think I liked Big Money Rustlers as much as I liked Big Money Hustlers. <laughs> no, it was it was 100 mega garbage. It was awful. Well, there's good news too, Matt. There's some some very good news. 
uh, which is that if you can draw Mario, you can also draw Luigi, which is what I have been doing the entire time we've been talking about this movie. Just to keep focused. Just to keep the brain active. Yeah, you, you gotta do something. And the other good news is, we're finished. Yeah, we don't have to watch this ever again. We, we've talked about it, and we've watched it, and we're done with it. We'll be back in two weeks. Perhaps with another rapper slash actor right back at you film. Or we might take a one episode break and do a Valentine's special. Oh, that's right. It's the season of romance, Matt. That's right. So we are going to decide whether or not we're going to continue the series or take a break for one week, do a Valentine's special, then get back to the rapper movies. We will let you know. And you can let us know which you'd prefer. By going uh, t- talking to us on Twitter, I'm at, at the Matt D Wilson. Chris is at the ISB. Uh, let us know your thoughts, or you could email us at moviefighterscast at gmail dot com. But we'll be back either way in two weeks with a brand new episode. Our music is by Michael Kill. Our website was designed by Sean Bogus. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. And keep your left hand up. It's a new sign-off line I'm trying. Because we're, cause we're fighting a movie. Because we're, like, boxing it. So keep your, you block with your left hand. This has been a Kleitus Media production. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chibata collection. How do you want it? Ooh, I'll take the slam poetry. Sure. <clears throat> Italian Chibata with fresh mozzarella. When hunger reigns, you're my flavor umbrella. Tasty garlic steak and provolone. With you, my taste buds are never alone. Savory chicken pesto. You have my affection. For you complete the Chibata collection. Thank you. Get them before they're gone at Subway. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chibata collection. How do you want it? Ooh, I'll take the slam poetry. Sure. <clears throat> Italian Chibata with fresh mozzarella. When hunger reigns, you're my flavor umbrella. Tasty garlic steak and provolone. With you, my taste buds are never alone. Savory chicken pesto. You have my affection. For you complete the Chibata collection. Thank you. Get them before they're gone at Subway. Limited time only at participating restaurants.